get back into where we've been studying and uh, and looking at the big picture here and do some kind of take a do some things and so forth and take a trip if you will just briefly this morning Ephesians chapter number three we've been looking at verse 10 and verse 11 but let's start reading in verse 8 unto me who who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, under the principalities and powers and heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Our dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for the fellowship that we have one with another and for the gathering together. And as we look here in the passage, that we would just keep our eye on the big picture as we go through day-to-day life. In your name we pray. Amen. We've been looking here at verse number 10 intently to, to the intent that now, under the principalities and powers and heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And as we've been looking at that, the last two studies that we've done, we went over and we looked at creation because we were talking about our impact into the angelic realm. What do the angels need to know? What, what do they, what do, what are, we're educating them. We're a spectacle. We're on display. And again, we took a look there at, at the natural creation. Now, there's two other creations that God created, the national creation and then the new creature, the new creation. And we'll talk about those down the road. But this morning, I want to get back into the passage and kind of move into some things here, really to help us. Um, the angels, as they begin to watch God create, Job 38 and Job 26 and Job 9 and Proverbs 8 and Proverbs 3 and all those passages that we looked at outside of Genesis 1, it's very fascinating to me in Genesis 1, there's just a little blurb detail. It, it's, a, it's a cliff notes to the creation. Boom, 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 boom. And you go in and you take all these other passages and you begin to fill in the wisdom plan. As he sat there and as God began to create, he had a wisdom plan. He had a blueprint. And he would go over and say, okay, we're going to do this. And he would take the mountains and form them and dig out the valley and make the dry land. And he would do that. And he would say, okay, that matches this. And, that, and it's good. It's good in that it matches. And then as he begins to do that, the angelic realm, Job 38 says that the sons of God rejoiced and sang and marveled at it as they watch him create. They watched as he made man, dirt man, mud man, made us, formed us out of the dirt. And as he began to create and to do that, and now the angels are seeing him take that man. And now he's going to begin to give them some information about, you see you got this old dirt body, this old rusty out Studebaker as they like to say. One day you're going to have a body of glory. And as they begin to, as we begin to make known the manifest wisdom of God, 
as we begin to demonstrate that and as we begin to make all men see what is the fellowship as we live as who we are in Christ and as we take in the sound doctrine and have that impact our thinking in a day-by-day basis and when we think about the love of God and the wisdom of God, think about what he saw in man. He saw man in trouble. He knew man would get in trouble. He knew man would need help. He knew that the justice of God would say man has violated the, the righteous standard of the, of the holiness of God. There's a need for a payment to be made now. No matter how much you try, you will never satisfy the sin payment that's required. The Son took care of that. So we begin to see the love of God. And, and, and that goes with the, I think about this. Here's the love of God. Talking to the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God says, the love of God says they violated my love. They violated my standards. And the wisdom of God says, that's okay, I have an answer. I have an answer, and it's going to be in the Son of God. And it's going to be as he goes to Calvary. And as he begins to, come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As he goes and as he will be a kinsman redeemer for man, and as he's going to go and die at Calvary and do this and do that, he's going to take care, he's going to make available the payment. He's going to redeem man, make that available. I think about 2 Corinthians 8 and verse number 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. And as the love of God and the wisdom of God begin to talk about, they say, look, we aren't going to do it, we're going to call it grace. And when you come back there to Ephesians 3, we're going to do something with them. We're going to have them do, we're going to do this over here on the earth, and we're going to have this secret plan in the heavenly places. And that's verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to do something. And what we're going to do is we're going to keep it a secret. We're not going to tell anybody. We're not going to reveal it. And then we're going to make it known one day. And when we do, all of creation, the, heaven, the angelic realm, is going to watch. And they're going to be in awe. And they're going to see this plan work out. And as the angels watch the church, the body of Christ, they begin to, again, we looked in there in uh, Peter where they desired to look into it as well. They, they, they desire to look into what God's doing in the dispensation of grace and what he's going to be doing with the church, the body of Christ. So they watch you and I. That's why Paul says we're made a spectacle. We're a, we're a spectator. You're a spectator sport. <laughs> I think about that, you know. I, you think about life, and sometimes we get caught down in it, but really when you back up and you begin to see the big picture. So there's some things in the heavenly places and the angelic ranks that, that we need to, to notice and to pay attention to here. And as they watch you and I, and what they're watching is seeing how we respond to the details of life. How are you doing with that? Do they respond in who they are in Christ 
And that do you are they putting on display that identity? Are they putting on display his life? And as they watch us, they as they watch you and I be instructed in the plan and in the purpose of God. As they watch as out as that as we interact with the lie program, the attack of the adversary. They begin to notice things, and they begin to see things. And you and I need to understand that. Come back with me to Isaiah chapter 14. And we need to understand that as they watch us, and as they watch and see us interact with the adversary, the lie program, Romans 1.25, they take the truth of God and make it into a lie, they don't hold the righteousness, they hold the righteousness of God in unrighteousness. They don't follow the truth, they're out doing something else. And then as they watch us, how do then we then respond to that as the attacks come on? And the only way that you can respond properly is to have what? Knowledge, wisdom, understanding. The only way to respond to things is to have something in your spiritual perception. And you don't get it by just having the book on the shelf or on the living room table. You get it by what? Getting in and studying. Read it. Study it out. Look at it. And in Isaiah 14, we have a great picture here of something that we need to pay attention to. When you look around the world today, when you look around our country today, things change, don't they? If you're older, you're like, oh my goodness, look at the change. If you're Younger, you're like, what change? If you're in the middle, you're like, oh, wow, there is a little bit of a change. By the way, if you're older, what are you looking for? Hey, I'll be dead one day. I won't get to see it go to pot all the way. But you begin to notice things. And the question then gets us, okay, why is that happening? How, what's really going on here? In Ephesians, Paul t- says that he's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And I love prudence. Prudence is seeing the big picture. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, get all those details, but the prudence. Get back out there and see the big. I want to kind of pick up where we left off three weeks ago, four weeks ago now, I guess, because last week. Isaiah 14 and verse number 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weakenest, I'm sorry, did weaken the nations. Now, this is a, Isaiah 14 is a prophetic chapter about what will be said to Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the adversary, as he's being cast down into the lake of fire. So we're out beyond the thousand year reign. We're just before the great white throne judgment in your thinking. As as Satan is loose from the bottomless pit, goes up, deceives the unbelieving Gentile world, gets them, God judges them, and then he's going to cast Satan alive into the lake of fire. The nations are going to say this, Israel is going to say this to him as he's being dropped over the edge and down into the lake. They say, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou 
cut down to the ground, which did weakenest the nation. And if you're going to understand what's going on in the world about us, then you're going to need to have this spiritual perspective here. Again, the picture here of the future. And what I want to catch, pick up with you this morning, building into next time, in the next couple weeks, is the end of verse 12, weakening the nations. Now, notice what the chief complaint is here. It isn't you introduce sin into the creation. It isn't any of that. It's what? You weakened the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart. By the way, notice thine heart. It's a heart problem. The heart, man, believes. The heart, your thinking realm. Your thinking, the realm of your thinking of the inner man. And what does he say? He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also uh, upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And again, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Genesis uh, 14 over there defines that for us. All of this terminology here, throne and sitting in the congregation, of the, all of that's government. All of that's ruling, all of that's being in charge, worshiping. Now watch verse 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that did made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the worlds as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof that opened not the house of his prisoners. See that? All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, everyone in his own house. What has happened? What, the satanic policy of evil, it starts, its chief underlining issue is that it weakened the nation. He weakens the nation. All the nations were weakened. Now that's important. It's important for you and I to grasp and to catch because when we look around us, we are not to be victims of the current situation. We are not to be overtaken. We are not to sit there and say, woe is me. Why? Romans 8, we're studying it. Verse 37, we are what? More than conquerors. We're to take the situation, understand it, turn it to our benefit, exploit it for our eternal benefit. Use that, understand, walk around as victors, not victims. Okay? Too many times, grace believers cry the victim card. And I'm going to encourage you to not do that. Okay? Now, I know that's a natural reaction. I got it. Fine. But as soon as you do it, get it out of your system and then get over here where you belong. Okay? All right, because I do the same thing. I'm no better than any of you guys. I sat on an airplane. We were in the airport. Uh, to Actually, we were at the airport here to go to Minnesota. And you get off, and the first thing you got to do is put a mask on. It's the first time I've worn a mask in an extended period of time for a long time. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is fogging up my glasses. You know? And then I'm watching people walk by, and they got them, and they're down here underneath. They got their chin covered. And I'm like, okay. And then you get, you know, all the announcements come on, and I'm like, okay, so if we'll, and then I'm thinking about uh, Bubba Joe with uh, the Dunham character, and he's got it over his eyes. I'm like, maybe I'll do that, you know. But, you know, you do that when you sit there, and you can, you go, my goodness, look at this. What's going on? 
Well, there's been a weakening that's happened. Now, let's think about this with me. Come back to Genesis and get Genesis 6. And let's just think this through this morning, and let's see if we can't get out of here before 1. Genesis 6. You guys chuckle. I was sitting last night watching the football game, Roll Tide, Go Devils. I was sitting there watching that, and I'm sitting there writing, and I'm going, I got like 10 pages here. I can just keep going, but for time. Think about Genesis. Genesis 1 through 11, okay? Genesis chapter 1 through 11 covers approximately 2,000 years of human history. Does it quickly. Goes from Adam to Noah to the flood and to Abraham. Bam! It's done. Then in Genesis 12 through 50, it slows way down to just a little over 400 years of human history. So the question is, is why the big difference? Well, 1 through 11 is not designed in Genesis to give all the details. That's Job 38, that's Isaiah, that's Psalms, that's other passages. The first 11 chapters are just designed to give you the overview and an understanding, an outline. You go into the other scriptures and you plug in the details. But in chapter 20 through 50, who do we have introduced to us? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now we have introduced to us what God's going to do in the earth through what will eventually become the nation of Israel. So now we need more details. Now we need the components of why Isaac and not Ishmael? Why Abraham and not Lot? What's going on there? Why did he do who did those the, those the details of Israel being established in the earth as God's people, God's nation? So what do we need? We need to slow down and let's think this through. But in Genesis 1 through 11, he's just trying to get everything kick-started, get it going. Let's get, here it is, quickly. So when you think about what God's doing in Genesis 1 through 11, and you've, we've talked about this and studied it, I say that, and then I'm thinking, was that men's meeting or was that here? You know, so we're going to do some little overview, if you will. And when God created creation, he instituted four institutions. I call them the four institutions of creation. It starts with you individually, and it's called volition, free will. God made man responsible to make a choice and then to live with the consequences of that choice. That's how God made man. When he, you're in Genesis 6, I wasn't going to do this just for time. You've got to see it. Genesis 3, Genesis 2, sorry, Genesis 2. 16. I'm not going to do this for every one of them because you can kind of figure it out. Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. How many trees of the garden can they freely eat? Every. Everybody says all, but all's wrong. Every. <laughs> okay? Because what's he going to do? Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, we know they, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. But there's a tree that they can't do what? Not eat. What's God's word say? Every tree enjoy, but this one leave alone. So what does Adam have? 
He's got a choice laid out in front of him, doesn't he? And he's going to be held responsible for the decision he made. Now, Eve was tricked and beguiled and deceived, and Adam went right along. And chapter 3, what happens? It all falls to pieces. Okay? But they're what? Held responsible for that choice, that decision. So here you have Adam and Eve. Come on over to chapter 4. You have Adam and Eve. Actually, stay, go back to chapter 2. The, so the first institution is volition, free will. If anyone ever tells you that man was not, does not have free will, just put your fingers in your ears and go, nah, 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 until they're done talking, and then you can listen to them again because they don't know what they're talking about. Because for them to say that means that they've exercised free will on their own to choose to believe something. Okay? Every man's got free will. That little kid, the little babies, guess what they are learning? They have choices, don't they? Do what mom and dad say or don't do what mom and dad say. Do this, do that. It's built into the savagery. They got it. Then you get older, you grow up, and then you find that perfect spouse, don't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, roll the eyes is right. Yeah, sorry about that over there, okay? You know, but what happens? Well, chapter 2, verse 20. Three. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 2.23. She shall be called woman because she, he, she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So you got marriage is introduced. Man and a woman. Marriage. You make a choice to get married. You make a choice to come along and to live and to do and to live together in the will of God, for your life, together, you become one. And then what happens? Well, chapter 4, verse 1, Adam knew Eve's wife, and she conceived. Now we got what? We got family. Third institution, family. You got three institutions here of creation. You, By the way, to have kids, you made a choice to have children. When I t talk to the young people that are getting married, I tell them, I said, you're going to have to make a choice here about kids. When, if, and when. But you do it before you get married. Let's have that knock-down, drag-out conversation over here before it's too late. Why? Because you can have the argument here and maybe not proceed, or you can have the discussion and proceed and everything's fine. You have a choice. Now, in those three, volition, marriage, and family, you have the basic building blocks of a stable society, a stable home, a family built on a marriage, built on a choice of two individuals who are seeking to do God's will in their lives together, by faith, trusting in the word of God, rightly divided. There they go. Now they have a stable home. Now, Genesis 6. You raise your kids what do they do? Repeat. They make a choice to get married and to do what? Have kids. And grandkids, my dad says, is the greatest reward of you not killing your kids. I don't know. Don't have them. But so far he's been a writer about almost everything else, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Okay? So what do you do? You have grandkids. What do then they do? They watch mom and dad. The most important people in your children's life, in your grandkids' lives, is mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. That's the most important people. Not SpongeBob, not uh, 
Teletubbies or whatever out there, none of that. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa are the most important people in your kids' and your grandkids' lives. They see what it is to have a stable environment. Then what are they going to produce? Another stable environment. Now what are we doing in our society? Stable, it's becoming stabilized. But a problem comes in, doesn't it? Genesis 6, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. A problem has developed. A culture, a society has been developed. Things are being, being fettered out here in chapter 4 and chapter 5 and so forth. And things are going and growing and doing. And yet, what has happened there? The wickedness of man became what? Great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, the, the way you're thinking, that's imaginations of the thoughts. That's how you think about things. Imaginations. That's the dreams. That's the artsy-fartsy side of your mind. That's the color side. That's the, that's the, the imagination. That's the, where the dreams are. The thoughts, that's where facts are. That's where logic lays. That, that's where you come along and you say, hey, that's the facts, it's that. And your imagination comes up and says, well, maybe that's just something else. Maybe that's not really. No, the thoughts, the facts are that. Now, if you'll notice, he says, the thoughts of his heart. You need to have written down Jeremiah 17, verse 9, where the heart is desperately wicked. And who can know it, that verse says. You don't even know yourself. You think you do. You know, I was talking to a gentleman years ago, right before he passed away, and he goes, you know, Rick, I never really knew me. I'm like, wow, okay. He goes, but I know the Lord, and I'm going to go see You know, you really don't know you. You don't know what you would do if you were put in any circumstances until you're what? There. You think you do. I, I think about the Lord. He looks over there. And they're sacrificing their kids to the idol worship. And he goes, I would have never thought to do that. And yet, what is man doing? Doing it. The only person that really knows you is Hebrews 4, verse 12, and that's the word of God as it cuts. And it dissects your thoughts and intents of the heart. It reads your meter. Man, when it does that, whew, you're in trouble. But look at verse, look at verse 6. By the way, the thinking side, the thought side, that's the, the, the side of your thinking that God designed to run your life, it, where truth and reality and the facts are. That's the side, not the imagination. You know, you, you hear, I hear people, oh, my kid has an arts bent and this and that. And I'm like, okay, that's cool, but what about reality? Because <laughs> one day they're going to come out of that. Well, okay, let's build that up. But the problem is, is that they only evil, was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. 
You think about that. I do. Was God really sorry that he reached over there and took dirt and formed a man and blew? No. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the condition that man is living in in the moment. He's t- Look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Who's there? Noah. We know Enoch is there. He's teaching, doing the different things. But So God isn't talking about, man, I'm really sorry I made a man. Because man is an integral part of his what? Reconciliation program. He's talking about the the situation that man's living in. And that situation that man's living in is dangerous. It's evil continually. There's violence. There's wickedness in the earth. So what does God do? Well, he floods it. Come over to chapter 9. He, he, he judges the earth. He judges his creation. But he does something else as well. He's now going to add the fourth institution to the equation. So you got 1 plus 2 equals 3. But you need number 4 to come up now and to hug it and to protect them. Because what has happened? What, when man was left on his own device... What did man do? Evil continually. When marriage was now beginning to suffer, what's happening? We didn't read it in chapter 6 there, the first five verses. You've got the angels coming down and marrying up with the daughters of men. You've got perversion going on. What's happening? There's a, there's a, there's a failure in this. So now he's going to introduce a fourth institution. He needs to... He's coming to come here, and he's going to, hey, I need to protect what I've established in volition, marriage, and family. And And I need to protect it from the corruption. So he creates the issue of nationalism. In Genesis 9, the first six verses here, I don't know about you, but look at Daniel 9. Look at, I'm sorry, Genesis 9. Look at verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Same thing he said to Adam. Okay? Then he talks about the animals that are going to run from you. Why? Because he needs, them to, needs man to do what? Scatter out, right? But look at verse 6. Whosoever sheddeth man's blood... By man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. The first thing God says to him is what? Capital punishment. He doesn't say, I'm going to love you and protect you and take care of you. What's he say? Capital punishment. That's a fascinating thing to me. He doesn't come along and say, hey, look, we're going to have a restart here, and I'm going to do things differently. He says, no, we're going to have a restart, and I'm going to add something to the equation, and it's going to be government. It's going to be nationalism. It's going to be a human government, a governmental structure. That's design is to protect the first three institutions. Do you follow that? That's what he's doing here. Now, come over to chapter 10. So you got Noah and his three boys, and they come off. They do some things there. Look at verse 1. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood. So where are we? We're after the flood, right? Look at verse 5. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families, in their what? Nations. 
Drop down to verse uh, 20. These are the sons of Ham. After their families, after their tongues and their countries, and in their nations. Verse 31. These are the sons of Shem. After their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah. After their generations, in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. What's he doing? He's going down there and he says, look, guys, we got three boys. They got a nation. They've got a, they've got a border. They've got a physical boundary around them. They've got a language in order to gather together. They've got a nation. The, the, and by the way, the national thing here is a natural outworking of what's happening, of living together. You understand that. If we go and we hang out together, what are we going to have? We're going to eventually have rules, aren't we? <laughs> Otherwise, chaos reigns. So we have language. Now, the language, I didn't say this. Let me say it back up. Back up real quick. Genesis 10 and 11 kind of happen on top of each other. Okay? Because you've got a guy in verse 8, 10, 8, called Nimrod. And what's old Nimrod done here? Well, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherewith it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Well, what's going on in Genesis 11? Now we're where? We're in Babel. So you kind of have a, of an overlap here. Language. Why would he say that these families are divided after his tongue, their families, and their nations? If he hasn't already done what to the language? Confounded it. It's already done. So Genesis 11, Satan counterattacks nationalism. Satan counterattack to volition was, yea, did God really say that? His counterattack to marriage was having Eve usurp the head of the family, the head of the marriage. The counterattack to the family was the killing of Cain with Cain and Abel, and the disobedience to the will of mom and dad in Genesis 4. Adam and Eve had taught the boys about the sacrifice, and when it was time to take the sacrifice, what would Cain do? I ain't doing it. Don't care who you are. You're not my boss anymore. <laughs> I do what I want to do. And what is that? That's a rebellion of the natural order in the family. Satan says, you know what? You can do this nationalism thing all day long. I'm going to get it. So what does he do? Verse 1, 11-1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. What do we got? We got a one world government. We got a one world religion. We're going to have a one world language. He, he attacks it with globalism. Global, the whole, it's all together. We're going to live together. We're going to work together. We're going to eat together. We're going to do everything together. And it came to pass as they journeyed from east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Don't, by the way, I wish we had the time to look at that land of Shinar. Don't just skip over this, even though I am. They dwelt there, and they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime, and they uh, had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower. Think about a city. What's in a city? Government. What's in a city? An econo a political entity. That's a city. An economic system, a social system. You go downtown to Phoenix, Orchestra Hall down there, and you listen to the symphony. And we're, where are we at? We're in the city. And the city begins to take a life. 
a tower. And a tower. A tower in 2 Samuel and in Psalms and in Proverbs, God was Israel's tower. It's about religion. And it represents a religious system. And that system, that spiritual component that comes along with the political entity. And what were they to do? Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into the heaven and let us make us a name lest we be what? Whoa, look at that. Scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. What did God tell Noah and his three boys to do? You're going to become a hunter and you're going to follow the game and you're going to scatter all through the earth. And when you're over here, you're going to do this. And he, that scatter, that's why he changed the re relationship between man and the animal kingdom. They were to scatter. But what did they do? They gathered together. Babel, a place of rebellion. To not allow the division up of the people, of the nations, to be accomplished. Keep it together. That they were in rebellion to God's word. So what did God say? Verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have what? Imagine to do. They're not dealing in facts. They're not dealing in the truth of God's word. Where are they? They're over here looking for a utopia that will never exist. They're looking for a oneness that was never the design. The design for man was to fill up the earth and to populate, replenish it, subdue it, have do what God's purpose was. That's why we looked at the natural creation. The people are one. Watch verse 7. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad and thence, from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And you know what? You have the languages developed. And not until Acts chapter 2, when the apostles have been given to them the, the, the ability to speak in tongues, has anyone ever been able to speak in one language? When Peter stands on the day of Pentecost and he speaks, it's one language going out being heard in all the different languages in their heads. And that's the working of the Spirit. That is a reversal of this curse in picture, in, in time. Ultimately in the kingdom, it'll be the same way. Because what was God's design for the nations? Fill up this earth. Their rebellion came from their imagination. Satan has already been weakening the nation by simply destroying what made them strong. Here's man trying to do what God said to do. 
in their marriage, in their creation of family. And now as they begin to come along and they begin to understand what's happening and going on, and now we have this oneness rather than the scatter. And you know what? Satan started weakening the nation idea way over here. Didn't just happen at the moment. Now, what happens in chapter 12? My goodness, look at the time. Chapter 12. What did God say to Abraham? You're going to be my guy. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And you know what you read about in Genesis 12? Guess what? He didn't leave mom and dad. He didn't leave family. You got Lot there. And until you come to Lot separating him out in the land where they chose, Abraham is not where God needs him yet. Genesis 14, 15, finally Lot is taken off in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now God can deal with Abraham where he's supposed to be. My point is, is now the Lord had said This is past tense. It's back in chapter 10 and 11 in that stack where God reaches over and he says, Listen, I gave man three institutions here. Volition, marriage, and family. It needs to be protected. Look at the onslaught by the adversary. Look at what's happening. So I'm going to create human government, nationalism. But look at what they're doing to that. They're they're disobeying that. So i got to have my guy. And he's... Pulls that blueprint out and says, there it is, there it is, there it is. Here we go, here we go. And he does it. Now come over to Exodus 32. And let's just run some verses here and just see how this kind of plays out. So when you begin to look around and you begin to see our nation, if you think about the last 20 years, last 15 actually and you think about the attack on marriage do you know that wasn't the first attack on marriage it has happened in the past the first attack in our society in recent memory was on the family single parent homes single this single that and really that began to weaken our nation was the attack on the family and when that happened what began to happen now you see more uh, folks in jail, I, there's a word for it, more crime, more everything. Why? Because now we don't have a dad at home. Why? Well, where's dad? Well, dad's over here, you know. You, you guys know the culture and, you know, the baby daddy and all that nonsense out there. All it does is what? Weaken the country. Then we have the attack on marriage and the same-sex stuff and all of that and the redefining of marriage. By the way, now you have, a, you have an attack on uh, again, on the issue of abortion that's, that's prevalent in the news feed and everything. So you've got all of that going on, and what is it doing? It's bombarding, bombarding, bang, 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 bang. And finally, what happens? There's a break in the wall. There's a break in the nation. Look at Ezekiel, uh, Exodus 32. Look at verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount... The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, 
the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. Wait a minute. Who brought Israel up out of Egypt? Moses or God? God did. Jehovah did. Israel, as they're making up gods, they want to go back to Egypt. Now, I read that verse to you to express to you the issue of foolish thinking here that's going to happen as we use Israel to kind of illustrate this out for us. Come over to Isaiah 26. They had foolish thinking where? Right from the beginning. Right? Okay. I'm, I had to go back up a note page. <laughs> they, they had foolish thinking right here. Exodus 32.1, what do they say? Let's go back to Egypt. Now, Isaiah 26. Now, in Isaiah, we're a few years down the road from that great day. Isaiah 26. About the kingdom. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a, what? Strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. What's God going to do? Talking about the kingdom, what is it? It's a strong city. But why is it strong? Because it's got walls and bulwarks and bulwarks and gates. It's got borders and language and land. It's got everything around it that it's supposed to have. It's exactly how God created it. And you know what he calls it? Salvation will God appoint. For walls and bulwarks, open ye the gates. The nation of Israel, that kingdom, will be exactly how God had originally intended nationalism to work. Where the judge sits on the throne and it's instant judgment, it's instant righteousness, it's instant peace. It isn't a delay, it's a boom, boom, get them now. Come over to chapter 60. Chapter 60 of Isaiah. Look at verse 18. Isaiah 60, verse 18. Uh, blah, 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 blah. 18. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy walls, what? Salvation and thy gates, praise. Why? What did... 26.1 tell us. How did God appoint this? How does God establish this? The design for borders and walls and all that is to keep the violence out. This is all designed, by the way, notice that salvation is a capital S and praise is a capital P. Those proper names, titles. By the way, who is their bulwark? Who is their salvation? The Messiah is Jehovah. Jah, they call him. He, there he is. This is all designed to protect what's going on inside. Now, what's inside the city? The individual, marriage, and family. That nation is designed to protect that. Come back to chapter 7 of Isaiah. Try to keep us in the same book. Isaiah 7. Now watch this happen. Isaiah 7, verse 5.
because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remlah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying. Okay? So these guys are coming up against Israel. Watch what they say. Let us go up against Judah and vex it. And let us make a breach therein for us. And set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabel. What are they going to do to Judah? They're going to attack it. They're going to vex it. They're going to beat on it. They're going to just continually beat on it until they make a breach. They're just beating on it, beating on it, beating on it, beating on it. With the goal of what? Setting up a new king. They're just beating on it, beating on it, beating on it, beating on it. Now, we're using Israel as an illustration, but you make the application to us today. As a church, local church, you and your family, what's happening? What's our culture doing? Just pounding on you. Until you do what? Until there's a break. There's a breach. The enemy's looking for a hole to break through. Come over to Deuteronomy chapter 20. He's looking for a, a place to come in and to neutralize you and I. And if you think about you and I today as members of the church, the body of Christ, and the attack and the onslaught of the adversary against you and I, how does he do it? Beats on you, doesn't he? Just beats on you. What, what do you mean you believe in a dead Jew that hung on a tree? What do you mean that you believe in a King James Bible? What do you mean you don't believe in water baptism? What do you mean you believe in this thing called rightly dividing? What in the world is that? What do you mean? And, and it just beats on you and beats on you and beats on you. And finally, you know what you, most of us do? Uncle, enough. Romans 6, or I'm sorry, you're in Deuteronomy 20. Ephesians 6 with the armor, he says that you put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all to stand. Stand in the breach. Deuteronomy 20, look at verse 1. The law of, wa of, of warfare here. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots, and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Wait a minute, they started saying what? Moses the man brought us out. Bad thinking. Moses is standing here re-educating the new generation to go in and says, really, who's taking you in? It ain't me. It's God. It's Jehovah. Okay? Verse 2, and it shall be when ye are come nigh unto battle, unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies, and let not your hearts faint. Fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Isn't that interesting? Our passage would be Ephesians 6, verse chapter 10 to the end of that chapter, where Paul says, you got the armor. You got God. You've been fully equipped. You've been dressed. 
You've been ready. You've been prepared for the battle. And what produces the courage in the battle, in the hammering, not to stop, not to say, uncle, is sound doctrine. Israel, that's what Israel, that's what Moses has given them, sound doctrine. Here you are, Moses. Now come over to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15. You see, folks, the course of the nation, you and I, we need to be living the sound doctrine. Now listen to me carefully. Israel started bad, didn't they? They started, make us a God, Aaron, because Moses has left us and that man brought us out of here. They mixed multitude, don't get it. Israel's life was never good after that point. They wandered around in wilderness and confusion. They went up and smote the rock instead of speak to it. They did all of this stuff. Deuteronomy 20, Moses is talking to the new generation, and what does he instill in them? The truth. The truth is, is God, Jehovah is going with you. Sound doctrine, okay? You and I today, the age of grace, here we are. What are we doing? We're learning who we are in Christ. We're seeing things. We're growing. We're making all men see. We're the fellowship. We're putting on display the life of Christ in time. And what's the adversary doing? Just beating on you. You got the armor. You put the armor on because the course of the nation will be determined by the amount of sound doctrine resident in the hearts and the minds of the people. Israel didn't have it. They failed. Moses had to reinstitute it in them before going into the land. You and I, the church, the body of Christ today, has failed. In the corporate manner. What do we do as a local church then? Because I, I can't worry about everybody. I have to worry about yous, usins. We don't what? We don't fail. We can be what? Educated in the sound doctrine. The course of the nation will be determined by the amount of sound doctrine resident in the hearts and the minds of the people. What do we do here? Who do we impact here? Us, our community, our families, our, our acquaintances, our neighbors. Let's impact them. Because one of them may be the future governor of this state. You don't know. Could you imagine if the head leadership of this state were Bible believers? Not talking about Christians, I'm talking about Bible believers. Doing and understanding what the Word of God says for them to do as governmental leaders. It would be a different kind of thing. But it would be something that could happen. I've known people that understand the word rightly divided who are in politics and governmental positions. I understand that. That's fine. None against it. But could you imagine that coming out of our little local assembly here? Look at Proverbs 15. Look at verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. What kind of tongue? Wholesome. Wholesome tongue, not a whole, H-O-L. Wholesome. Who, had the, who, who is the great illustration of the wholesome tongue? The Lord Jesus Christ. 
No guile, no, no trickery, just the truth. Here's the truth. Wholesome. Right there. But perverseness therein is a what? Breach in the spirit. The pounding away until what happens? Oh, why bother? And the nation is broke. You think about that. Think about our culture. Wholesome tongue. No pure Bible anymore. I hear the arguments. I read about them. I, you can't trust your Bible. That's Genesis 3. Yea, hath God said. I, yeah, I tell you what, on Mark, we'd study in Mark, and the Lord looks over there at those Pharisees and says, Have you not read? <laughs> and I, I, I think about that. Boy, what saith the Scriptures, Romans 4, 3 says. But no, you can't say that. No, no sound doctrine. What do you mean you follow Apostle Paul? You don't love Jesus? Well, yeah, but that's, you know, no, no, no. No absolute authority any longer. No absolute truth. No place for your faith to rest. You see, where, all, where does all that start? It starts with you. Come over to Psalms 106. It starts with you. When you decide to stand on God's word, rightly divided, when you decide to face life based on sound doctrine from God's word, when you decide to allow God's word to be the refuge, to be the wall around you. You see, folks, the angels are watching. They see the pounding of the adversary. They see the weakening of the walls begin to develop. And, and for some, they've actually seen the hole in the wall. They see that. They see that, that, that God's design and how he wanted us to function is breaking down. It's deteriorating. Don't you see it? They see it. And then they look over and they see a little group of believers and they go, okay, look at those guys. Let's see what they're going to do about it. You see, Satan weakens the nation by first going after the individuals, the issue of volition. And that causes the leaving of God's word and his plan and his whole design. Psalms 106, in verse number 23, always struck me with this. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen, stood before him, where? In the breach. To turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Now that's Moses' That's Moses' interaction with God. Okay? That's all right. But where did Moses stand? He stood in the breach. How did Israel start? Not good. Foolish thinking. And Moses stood there. And when God said, I want to wipe them out and start all over with you, Moses, Moses stood in the breach of that and said, you can't because you have a covenant. You have a, a contractual agreement with the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you have your word been given on the matter. You see, folks, as we look around our culture, 
our society, and I say our, I mean our, what do we see? We see the breach. We see the breakdown. And as a local assembly, now go back to Ephesians 3, because you've got to catch that in Ephesians 3. I keep saying it, but I need you to catch it. Ephesians 3.10. As we, as a local assembly, the end of that verse, 3.10, by the who? The church, the manifold wisdom of God. Our job as a local assembly is to do this. Our job as a local assembly is to do what? Stand in the breach. That's the issue. That makes this place probably, in, well, for me it is, the most important place in the area. It actually beats chilies. <laughs> it's time to eat. Okay? But see, the thing is, is this place is important. Why? Because what are we doing? We're standing in the breach. What's, what's Satan's policy? Just pound away at you until you cry uncle. And when you cry uncle, then when you go look at your marriage, guess what it's going to do? It'll begin to fall apart. Then you look at your family, and it'll fall apart. And then you look at your nation, and what has happened to it? It's fallen apart. The wonderful thing is, is we can understand that. We can't stop the nation. It just won't happen. It's not our job anyway. Our job is to do what? Right here. We're going to go back into Isaiah 14 and dig down through some more of that stuff about the adversary and what's he doing. But you need to understand that that adversary, the adversary, that, the adversary, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, Leviathan, the dragon, the crooked serpent, he's got a plan to thwart what God's original designs were. And it starts by pounding away at you. And then you know what you do? You say, I'm done. And then you quit the local assembly. And then you quit the word rightly divided. And you just quit. And you know what he says? I'll never get you out of Christ, but if I can make you quit, if I can discourage you enough to say, I quit, then I've won. He knows he'll never get you out of who you are in Christ. But he sure enough can get you out of the war, out of the game. That's how he weakens the nation. That's their biggest complaint. That fascinates me. Here, here the Michael and the boys are toting the devil by the tail. No, he doesn't have a tail, but by the tail. And they're dropping him right off the, off the rim into the lake of fire. And the nations are standing there and saying, you did this to us. Now, the Lord will deal with them later, but anyway. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord, for the study for the folks' patience to look at this and to think about these things and to consider them so that as we function as a local assembly, as we function as family units, that we can understand how you had originally designed all of this to work and that we can do our part to stand in the breach that's happened in our nation, in our state, in our community and that we can be that pillar and ground of the truth. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we would normally be dismissed